Peace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is The Encyclopedia Challenge, Season 1, Episode 57. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I appreciate you. If you are new here, you may be wondering what The Encyclopedia Challenge is. You may also ask yourself, well, do I need to read an encyclopedia? Do I have to own an encyclopedia? And the answer to those questions are no. That is what I do. Um, we read from two different encyclopedias. The main source is the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And we have another encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 that we will go to every now and then. Um, but no, you do not have to read it, um, but thank you so much for joining me. All you've got to do is have a desire to listen to the encyclopedia. So if you've ever wanted to read the encyclopedia, but you've never had time, or if you're interested in words um, of all kinds, uh, or even history, um, or just learning new things, this podcast is for you. Uh, we are still in the A's, which is why we are in season one. And last week we ended with almonds, um, or a version of almonds, uh, almonds, comma, fixed oil of. And as promised, we are still in almonds. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we do have a quote of the month by Jean Paul Richter, who is a German humorist. And this is for spring. believe today is the first day of spring. So happy spring, everyone. And I did double check. And yes, today is the first day of spring. So again, happy spring, everyone. I'm going to say it even louder because I just confirmed it. And uh, so this is in honor of spring. Stately spring, whose robe folds our valleys, whose breast bouquet is gardens, and whose blush in a vernal evening. So that is our quote of the month. Today is the 20th of March, 2022. And so our first five entries are almonds, comma, volatile oil or essential oil of, almoner, almora, almoravides or morabethan, and almost. And all five of those are strictly from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So let's go to number one, and if you do want to uh, know how these are spelled, this is listed on my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, and it's under Encyclopedia Challenge, Season 1, Episode 57, and we have 30 words. And if you missed a podcast, a previous one, or any of the bonus, just explore the website and you will, uh, the bonus section is there, so you'll hit that. If you want to hear any of the bonuses, uh, or if you want to hear any past podcasts. And number one is almonds, comma, volatile oil or essential oil of. So volatile oil, almonds, or essential oil of almonds. And that is product from the cake, which is left after the expression of the fixed oil from bitter almonds. The cake contains, among other matters, a portion of two substances called, respectfully, amygdalin, and em emulsion or snapsace. When the cake is bruised and made into a paste with water, so the synaptase acts as a ferment upon the amygdalin, and one atom of the latter resolves itself into two atoms of volatile oil of bitter almond. 
one atom hydrocyanic prussic acid, one atom of grape sugar, two atoms formic acid, and seven atoms of water. This paste is placed in a retort and allowed to stand for 24 hours when heat is cautiously applied and distillation carried on. The volatile oil rises in vapor and passes over into the receiver accompanied by much water and contaminated with a considerable amount of prussic acid. The oil is not originally present in the bitter almond. In fact, the latter do not contain a trace of the oil ready formed so that the oil is purely the product of the fermentation of amygdalin, 100 parts of which yield 47 of crude oil. Commercial oil of bitter almond has a golden yellow color, but may be purified so as to be almost colorless. The crude oil is very poisonous owing to the prussic acid dissolved therein, and many fatal cases have occurred from the willful, accidental, and careless use of the oil. It is unfortunate that the manufacturers of the volatile oil should not be subject to crude oil to the action of lime and then iron salt and then redistilled when the prussic acid would be left fixed by the lime and iron and the pure volatile oil be alone obtained in the receiver. As so procured, the pure oil is not a dangerous poison. The oil has an agreeable odor, an acrid bitter taste, and it burns with a smoky white flame. It is heavier than water, being of the density of 1083. It is soluble in water to the extent of one part in 30 parts of water and is very soluble in alcohol and ether. Heated to 356 degrees Fahrenheit, it boils and distills over unaltered and exposed to the air. It is gradually oxidized into benzoic acid. The oil is called by the chemist benzoic aldehyde, which is C7H6O. In medicine, the volatile oil is used in place of prussic acid, but is very variable in strength, being sometimes four times the strength of medicinal prussic acid. The dose is a quarter of a drop to a drop and a half in an emulsion. The cook and confectioner employ the oil for flavoring custards, etc., and the perfumer uses it for scenting toilet soap, etc. Okay, so that's everything you need to know about almonds so that that concludes everything you need to know about almonds so if you missed last week's about uh, more information about almonds i um, highly recommend that you go to season one episode 56 because that has um fixed oil of almonds and almonds uh, so the different types of almond trees and almonds. Okay, and number two, almoner, noun, a person appointed by a king or queen or a monastery to dispense their alms or charity to the poor. Almonry, noun, the residence of the almoner, the house where alms are given. An almoner originally was that member of a religious order who had the distribution of the money and other things set apart for alms, which by chemical law was to amount to at least a tenth of the revenues of the establishment. Afterwards, though, those ecclesiastics also received this name who were appointed by princes to the same office in their households. The Grand Almoner of France was one of the principal officers of the court and of the kingdom, usually a cardinal, and in right of his office, commander of all the orders, and also chief director of the great hospital for the blind. Queens, princes, and princesses 
had also their almoners, and bishops were usually appointed to this office. In England, the office of hereditary grand almoner is now a sinecure, his only duty being to distribute the coronation medals among the assembled spectators. The Lord High Almoner, usually a bishop, distributes twice a year the Queen's bounty, which consists in giving a silver penny each to as many poor persons as the Queen is years of age. I'm not really sure how to respond to that. That's that's pretty interesting. I, I did not know what to expect whenever it's an almoner. And let's move on to number three, Almora, Almora, principal town of the British district of Camoan, India, 87 miles north from Barely, on the crest of a mountain ridge, 5,337 feet above the sea on the headwaters of the Kosala, a branch of the Ramganga. It consists chiefly of one street, three quarters of a mile long. The houses have a ground story of stone. The upper stories are of wood, covered with a sloping roof of heavy gray slate, on which small stacks of hay are sometimes erected. The ground story is generally whitewashed and tricked out with grotesque paintings. I like how they say tricked out. Uh, <laughs> this is from 1909, and it actually says tricked out. That's pretty cool. Detached houses, both of Europeans and Brahmins, are scattered along the face of the mountain below the town. Almora is a British military station, the lines of the regular troops in Fort Mora being close to the town. Since it came under British sway, it has been rapidly increasing in prosperity. The population at that time was 8,000. And number four... Almoravids, or the or Morabethan, an Arab dynasty that ruled in Africa and Spain in the 11th and 12th centuries. The name commonly given to this dynasty by Western writers is a corruption of the Arabic word Almorabeth, the champion of religion. This sect took its rise about 1050 among the Arab and Berber tribes which dwelt on the slopes of the Atlas Range facing the Atlantic, and was founded by a Muslim teacher named Abdallah bin Azam, who instructed the ignorant tribes in the Mohammedan faith. The new proselytes soon exhibited the fruits of this teaching by descending from their hills under the leadership of a chief named Abu Bekr and conquering the kingdom of Fez. The adjoining kingdom of Morocco shared the same fate, and the victorious enthusiasts under the famous Yusuf bin Taxfin, the cousin of Abu Bekr, next crossed the Strait of Gibraltar and subdued Spain to the Tagus on one side and to the Ebro on the other. But this extensive dominion was of too rapid growth for stability, and during the reign of Ali, the son of Yusuf, arose the sect of the Almohades, which after a time expelled them from Africa, and in 1144 subdued their power in Spain. The Almoravide princes introduced the Moravedi into Spain, and in that, in the word Morabets, their name is still preserved. And number five, before break, is almost. Almost, and it means nearly for the greatest part. And with that, let's go to break. And 
and welcome back. Before I give you the next set of five words, I just wanted to give everyone an update um, to my regular listeners. Uh, you know that I've started running again. And uh, to, the, to those of you just tuning in, uh, maybe this is your first or second podcast you listened to. Last year, um, a tendon in my foot snapped. And it's been a very slow recovery because I kept injuring it. <laughs> um, but it's finally healed. And so I've been running again. And I was hoping, 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 hoping that I could report that I ran a mile last week. Well, I cannot report that. Uh, the most I've run so far has been three quarters of a mile. Uh, and uh, yesterday, my puppy and I ran three quarters of a mile um, non-consecutively because we started running straight up a mountain. And if you have ever climbed a mountain, tried to run a mountain, and uh, you know how out of breath you can get. So we both just... We, we barely, well, we actually, we didn't even make half a mile um, running. We had to stop for water, both of us. Poor thing. Uh, my puppy normally doesn't drink that much water uh, whenever we go hiking or running, but she almost devoured the entire bottle. Um, not, not at the same time, but just throughout our, our hike slash run slash hike slash run. Um, but it was fun. I can't wait to get up to a mile. Um, I know I was up to either 7 or 10 miles before my injury. So I'm hoping to get back up, up to, the, to that. So I'm hoping next week I can report that I've done a mile. And I've been so, so tempted. There is a run um, coming up on the 26th. Uh, so this Saturday. And I really, really want to do it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like... I don't know if I can do a 5K yet. Uh, I know I can walk it, but, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't really want to walk it. If I'm going to be in a race, I want to actually run. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to give it a go. So we'll see. I, I may or may not. We'll, we'll see what happens. Right now I'm leaning more towards no. So don't be disappointed if I report next week that I didn't do it because I am leaning more towards no. But uh, anyway, without further ado, let me give you the list of the next five words, which is Almvest, comma, Carl Jonas Ludwig, Alms, Alma Cantor, Almig, Almnecker. And I may, pro may have pronounced that wrong. Um, we'll, we'll find out. Okay, so entry number six is actually from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And it's Carl Jonas Ludwig, or Carl Jonas Ludwig Omkvest. He was a Swedish poet and author, born Stockholm, Sweden, November 28, 1793, died Bremen, Germany, September 26th of 1866. He was graduated from the University of Uppsala in 1815. In 1832, he achieved literary fame by a group of romances, the leaders of Swedish literature entitled The Book of the Thorn Rose, Armenta May, The Mill at Skalnora, and Grimstahama's Settlement are his best tales. Notable no novels are The Palace, It's All Right, 
the Lords of Eccle, Sund, Amarina, Gabrielle, Mimonsa, and Amelia Hilner. His writings are distinguished by brilliancy of style and great dramatic power. His life was of the most unstable character, impl implicated in a case of forgery and murder by poisoning in 1851. He disappeared for 15 years. Oh, my. Uh, subsequently, it was learned that he went to the United States and settled in St. Louis, Missouri, there earning a scanty living. In 1865, he went to Bremen, Germany, and until his death, he lived there under the assumed name of C. Westerman. Oh, my. <laughs> so, unstable character. Okay, let's uh, move on to uh, number seven. And again, if you want to know how to spell his name, uh, just go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, and go to Encyclopedia Challenge, Season 1, Episode 57, and the link is in the description below. So if you're driving, please don't try to write anything down. Just uh, whenever you're able to, just uh, go to the link and follow the link. Okay. And uh, number seven, alms, which is a noun. Anything given to the poor in charity to relieve their wants. Alms houses, houses for the reception and relief of the poor. Alms deed and active charity. So I guess alms houses would be... Um, It would be like the Salvation Army. Sorry, I drew a blank there for a second. And uh, number eight is uh, Almu Kantor, noun. In astronomy, small circle of the sphere parallel to the horizon. Also an instrument for determining time and latitude and the right ascensions and declination of stars with less instrumental error than with a meridian circle. Its parts are a telescope provided with horizontal wires and mounted on a box floating on Mercury. The float being turned round and the telescope pointed east of the meridian, the time of a star's rising over the wires is noted, then similarly, the time of its descending. Thus, the positions of the stars being known, we are enabled to correct a timepiece and to determine the latitude. But if the time and latitude are known, we can determine either the right ascensions or the declinations of stars. And I actually forgot to note that um, with alms, we, we switched back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So the Cantor is from the 1909 Dictionary or Encyclopedia. And uh, number nine, Almag, noun. And it's a tree mentioned in the Old Testament, formerly supposed a species of a acacia or a coniferous tree like the cypress, now thought to be a kind of sandalwood. The centellum album, see algum, which we are we've already read. So we've already read about algum. And number ten. And I. Okay, so yeah, I did mispronounce it. I I, I thought I had. Almond Yakar, Yakar, so Almond Yakar, and it is not spelled how it is pronounced. So if you want to know how to spell it again, go to theoaktreejourneys.com, and this is number 10. And it is a seaport of Andalusia, Spain, province of Granada, 31 miles south of Granada, important in Moorish times, population 8,794. 
and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Before I tell you the next set of five entries, I do want to remind you that I have a coupon offer um, or a promo code, Mandy20, so Mandy20, uh, for 20% off of my Teespring store. So it is in honor of spring, and it expires April 24th of 2022. So if you want anything from my Teespring store, I've got shirts, um, mugs. I, I use my mug all the time, my coffee mug. Um, there's also shot glasses. Uh, so if you're interested in any of that and saving 20%, uh, just go visit my uh, Teespring store. The link is in the description below. Um, and that code does expire, so it expires next month, April 24th of 2022. Okay, our set of, uh, next set of five entries are Alnus, Alnick, Aldoa, Aloe, and Aloe. So, number 11 is Alnus, and it just says see Alder. And we've already done Alder, so if you missed Alder, all you have to do is go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. And just uh, do a search for Alder. That's A-L-D-E-R. And uh, hit the link for that podcast to find out what uh, Alnus is. And number 12 is Alnick. And it is not spelled the way I mean, the way it's pronounced. <laughs> and it's a town on the Alm. It's a county town of Northumberland, England. About 38 miles north by west from Newcastle by rail. The streets are spacious and the houses modern. Alnick was nearly was early a fortified town and fragments of the ancient walls remain. An ancient gate built by Hotspur still forms one of the entrances to the city. Alnick Castle, residence of the Dukes of Northumberland at the north entrance of the town, was some sumptuously restored since 1854 and is considered one of the most magnificent burial structures in England. During the Middle Ages, it was a bulwark against the invasion of the Scots, who thrice besieged it. The population, and again this is early 1900s, was about 8,000. And for entry number 13, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And that's Alodi, Alodi, and that there are two different ways to spell it. So, if to know how to spell it, uh, go to the Encyclopedia Challenge on at my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. And again, this is season one, episode fifty-seven, and this is entry number thirteen. It's in Greek mythology, the giant twin sons of Poseidon and. If Media, the wife of Alois, they were named Otis and Faltes. By piling Mount Osa upon Olympus and Pelion upon Osa, they sought to reach heaven and war on the gods, but were destroyed by Apollo. So a little bit of Greek mythology in there. And let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, where we have two aloes. So number 14 is aloe noun. Name of a bitter plant used in medicine applied to various species of the genus aloe, order Lilicia, aloes, the inspissated juice of the aloe, aloetic, 
or aloetical of or containing aloes. Now I've got a funny story about the aloe plant. Um, I've got an aloe, an aloe vera plant. And uh, the first time I ever got my, well, the first time my puppy came to my house, she looked up at that plant and started growling and shaking. And uh, it turns out she is a little bit of a fraidy cat. Even though she's a dog, she's a little bit afraid. But they're very poisonous to dogs. So she did the right thing. I'm glad she didn't try to eat it or chew on it. Uh, she just kind of growled and, and shuddered and stayed away from it. So th that, that makes me happy that she knows she's not supposed to be near it. Uh, so if you do have an aloe plant or an aloe vera plant, just keep it away from your dogs. And number 15, aloe. So this is the second aloe. Genus of, genus of plants, natural order, Lalachia, suborder, Alania, distinguished by irregular cylindrical parent in six pieces, expanded at the mouth, and nectiforous at the base. The stamens, hypogeneous, or springing from beneath the German. The ovals, indefinite in number. The fruit of mem of a membranous three-celled capsule. The species are numerous, natives of warm countries, especially of the southern parts of Africa. About 50 miles from Cape Town is a mountainous tract completely covered with aloes. Ooh, that sounds pretty. And the hills on the west side of Socotra exhibit them in similar profusion. The species all have stems, but vary in height from a few inches to 30 feet. They have permanent succulent leaves, the natives of the west coast of Africa make cords and nets of the fibers of their leaves, and stockings are woven from the fibers of a species found in Jamaica. But aloes are valuable chiefly for their medicinal properties. The well-known drug called aloes is the inspissated juice of the leaves of several almost tree-like species, and particularly of aloe socotrina, a native of the island of Socotra. Aloe purpurescens, aloe spicata, and aloe fruticosa, which principally yield the cape aloes, aloe indica, aloe rubens, aloe arabica, aloe lingiforms, aloe comelini, and aloe vulgaris, which is found in the East and West Indies in Italy and in some of the islands of the Mediterranean, being the only species which can be reckoned European Although, and that's funny, reckoned European, although it is also probably an introduced plant. The extract prepared from its leaves is known as hepatic aloes or as Barbados aloes. The bitter principle of aloes has been called alosin. It forms with oxygen several compounds which possess the properties of acids. The juice of aloes was anciently used in embalming, ooh, that's neat, I didn't know that, to preserve dead bodies from pu putrefaction. In the East Indies, it is employed as a varnish to prevent the attacks of insects and has even been applied to bottoms of ships to protect them from marine worms. Ooh, that's neat too. A beautiful violet color is obtained from the leaves of the Socotran aloe, which does not require any mordant to fix it. It also affords a fine transparent color for miniature painting. Ooh, that's neat. Mohammedan Pilgrims suspend an aloe over their doors on their return from Mecca to signify that they have performed the pilgrimage. The American aloe is a totally different plant. See agave. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was a completely different plant. 
Okay, and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your break. Uh, the next set of five entries are aloes, aloes wood, aloft, aloji, and alumpra. So for aloes, um, let's stick with the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So number 16 is aloes, a drug of great antiquity for Dioscardes AD 50 mentions aloe as a substance obtained from a plant with carthetic properties. The great demand for aloes has led to importation of many sources, including Bombay, Arabia, Socotra, Madagascar, the Cape of Good Hope, the Levant, and the West Indies. The drug is the inspessated ins juice of various species of aloe. All these are characterized more or less by producing large, thick, fleshy leaves, stiff and brittle, pointed and generally terminating in a strong spine filled with a mucilaginous pulp internally and containing in the proper vessels of their exterior portion an intensely bitter juice which yields the medicinal substance aloes. It is obtained sometimes in the form of tears by incision, spontaneous exudation, and in space the word that I have trouble with, in spessation upon the plant. Sometimes by the spontaneous, spontaneous evaporation of the juice, which drops or exudes by pressure from the leaves when cut away near the base. Sometimes by evaporating the same juice with the aid of heat. And lastly, by evaporating together the juice in a decoction of the leaves. Owing to the great difficulty of determining the true botanical source of any given sample, the following names are made use of in commerce to denote the various kinds of aloes found in the market, namely Socotran, Clear, Cape, East Indian, Barbados, and Cavalin aloes. The most important are, number one, Socotran aloe, so-called from its supposed source, the island of Socotra, near the mouth of the Arabian Gulf. This is the most esteemed of all the varieties used in medicinal practice. Many hold that this is the only... Okay, that this is only a fine variety of East Indian aloe, but the characters given in the Edinburgh Pharmacopoeia, a garnet red, translucency in thin pieces, and almost complete solubility in spirit of the strength of sherry, to find a particular species, the true Socotran aloe, of pharmacologists. Okay, and number two, East Indian aloe, also called hepatic aloe, from its liver brown color, is imported into Bombay from Arabia and Africa, and is known in India by the name of Bombay aloe. A considerable portion is probably obtained from the same sources as the Socotran aloe, which is which it resembles in color, and according to Dr. Piera, quote, the two are sometimes brought over intermixed, the Socotran occasionally forming a vein in a cask of hepatic aloes, end quote. Which is a practice they still do um, with all kinds of stuff, so you have to be careful uh, with what you get if you want pure things and, and all that. 
Uh, in fact, I've been drinking a tea um, from a bark. It's very bitter. And I read that the inner bark is actually what you want, but most places mix the outer and the inner because it's cheaper. So it's just, a, it's a common practice. And uh, number three, Barbados aloe is prepared in the West Indies from aloe Socotrina and from a variety of aloe vulgaris. Brown's Natural History of Jamaica states that the largest and most succulent leaves are placed upright in the tubes that the juice may dribble out. This evaporated forms what is sold as Socotrin aloe, but the common aloe is obtained by expressing the juice out of the leaves, boiling it with water, evaporating and pouring it into gourds, whence this kind is often called gourd aloes. It is much used for veterinary medicine and thus brings a high price. Cabellan aloe is a very coarse kind and is so-called because it is considered fit only for horses. It can... <laughs> It's funny. It contains many impurities such as wood, sand, and charcoal, and evidently constitutes the lowest stratum in the vessels in which the better sorts are allowed to cool. It is now in a great measure superseded in vet practice by Barbados aloes. The kinds of aloe are remarkable for their disagreeable taste, which if you've, if you've ever had aloe uh, juice, which was popular a few years ago, I haven't seen it recently. It is gross. It is it is really, really disgusting. Especially when you get the drinks with the chunks in it. Ugh. The odor is peculiar. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and is more perceptible when the drug is breathed upon. Aloe is in a great measure soluble in water, more so in hot than cold water. Aloe was formerly considered a gum resin, but the portion which was thought to be of the nature of gum is now regarded as a variety of extractive. And to it, the name of alosin has been given. Action. When employed in small doses, aloe exerts a tonic, and in larger doses, a cathartic action. It is considered by some authorities to stimulate the liver and also to supply the place of deficient bile and torbidity of the intestinal canal, and more especially toward its lower part. As taken singly and in combination with other cathartics, aloe is perhaps the most important and the best extensively used of vegetable remedies of its class, but owing to its action on the lower bowel should not be used in cases of piles. I, I could guess what that means, um, so we won't go there. <laughs> Number 17, aloe's wood, and we will be done with aloe. So aloe's wood, called also agilla wood, eagle wood, or alicum, the inner part of the trunk of aquilaria, oveda, and aloe agalachum, trees of the natural order aquilaricia, natives of the tropical parts of Asia, and the supposed to be the aloes or lion aloes of the Bible. There are large spreading trees with simple alternate leaves, Aloe's wood contains a dark-colored, fragrant resinous substance and is much prized in the East as a medicine and for the pleasant odor which it diffuses in burning. It has been prescribed in Europe in cases of gout and rheumatism. The resinous substance is found only in the inner part of the trunk and branches. The younger wood is white and almost scentless. A similar substance, still more esteemed, is obtained in the southeast of Asia and the adjacent islands from the central part of the trunk of Alozylon aglicum, the upright growing tree with simple alternate leaves and terminal panicles of small flowers of the natural order 
Leguminosa, suborder Casalopinia. This tree abounds particularly in the on the highest mountains of Cochin, China, and the Moluccas. A character of sacredness is attached to it, and it is cut with religious ceremonies. The aloe's wood, which it yields, is not only much prized in the East as a perfume, but many medicinal virtues are ascribed to it. The ancients ascribed to it similar virtues and so valued it for these and its fragrance that Herodotus says it sold at one period for more than its weight in gold. It was regarded almost as a universal medicine. Its very fragrance was supposed to have a beneficial influence and it was therefore worn about the person. As it admits a high polish and exhibits a beautiful graining, precious gems were set in it and it was cut into fantastic forms and worn in headdresses, etc. Lion aloes is a corruption of lignum aloes, or aloes wood. Well, that is just neat. Kind of want one now. <laughs> and number 18, aloft. So aloft, on high, in the air, among seamen, up, up, up among the rigging, alow, in a low place, not aloft. And number 19, um, I'm going to read a logy from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 first, and then we're going to go to the 1956, the Encyclopedia Americana, to see what they have to say. So, a logy or a logians, a branch of the Monarchians named from their denial of the existence of the Logos and their rejection of the Gospel of John, which teaches the Logos doctrine. They were found chiefly in Asia Minor. Epiphanius treats of them. And that's all it says there. That's why we're going to go to the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana. So, Ologi, a sect of heretics in the second century. They are said to have been founded by Theodotus of Byzantium, a leather dresser, and were rivals and opponents of the Montanists. Epiphanius declares that they denied that Jesus Christ was the Logos, and thus gave them their name. They also denied the continuance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, rejected the Gospel of St. John and the Apocalypse, which they ascribed to Serenthus the Gnostic, and the Millenarianism and Prophetism of the Montanists. Montanists. And uh, that, I think, made way more sense than the 1909 version. Um, so I hope it did for you, too. And I'm actually glad that Ologi was in here today because I wanted to let you know I did finish Codex Sinaiticus, the discovery of the world's oldest Bible by Dr. Constantine Tischendorf. And I did want to read... Uh, the last paragraph, uh, before he gets into the Mount Sinai manuscript of the Bible, the discovery. Uh, so the last paragraph before that, uh, when were our Gospels written, uh, says, May my writing serve this end to make you mistrust those novel theories upon, or rather against, the Gospels, which would persuade you that the wonderful details which the Gospels give us of our gracious Savior are founded on ignorance or deceit. The Gospels, like the only begotten of the Father, will endure as long as human nature itself, while the discoveries of this pretended wisdom must sooner or later disappear like bubbles. He who has made shipwreck of his own faith, and who lives only after the flesh, cannot endure to see others trusting in their Savior.
Do not then let yourself be disturbed by their clamor, but rather hold what you have the more firmly because others assail it. Do not think that we are dubious about the final victory of truth. For this result, there is one pledge to whom the whole world is mere feebleness. All that concerns our duty is to bear testimony to the truth, to the best of our ability, and that not for victory, but for conscience sake. And I love that paragraph. So I really wanted to read it. Um, and it just ties right in with Elogy. Uh, and it... And if you haven't read Codex Sinaiticus, it is really, really good. If you ever uh, just need help and understanding why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, perfect, perfect book to read. It's hard to find. It's a great book to read when you can find it. Okay, so let's move right along to number 20, Alumpra. And for this, we stick with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So Alampra, also called Along Pahora and Long Paya. Burmese king, born Shwebo, 1711, died probably in Siam, now Thailand, May 15, 1760. He was at first only the chief of Shwebo, a town near Mandalay. The reigning Mon dynasty of the time had been established at Pigu, Pigu near Rangoon, since 1740. There was considerable local resistance to the Pigwins, however, which gradually gathered around Lampra. He defeated several attempts of the Pigwins to subdue him and began to expand his territory at their expense, proclaiming himself king in 1752. In the following year, he rebuilt Rangoon and established himself there, capturing Pigu and destroying it in 1757. In 1759, a group of Englishmen at their factory at Negres were massacred on the charge that they had aided a Pigwin revolt, but appears that the massacre was committed without Alampra's knowledge. He invaded Siam and was besieging its capital, Yadahia, or Euthia, 40 miles north of Bangkok, when he was stricken with an illness and died. Alampra was the founder of the last Burmese dynasty. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are Alone, Along, Alongshore, Alonzo, Amato, Alonzo, Damaso. And for Alone, entry number 21, for those of you who uh, want to go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, um, and Encyclopedia Challenge to see how to spell these. So Alone is an adjective, means single, without company, to let alone, to suffer, to rest, or remain. And the adverb means by itself, quite by oneself, singly. And it's from Old English, all and one. So, which makes up alone. And along, number 22. Or alongst. Wow. <laughs> so along or alongst. Um, are the words by the length lengthwise forward in old english owing to adverb forward used also for together alongside by the side of as a ship long of in old english owing to and i, I know i've said this before i'm going to say it again 
anytime I see Old English in the 1909 encyclopedia, I, it just makes me smile and laugh because to me, this a lot of this is Old English and uh, some of it's not. Some of it, you, know, you kind of read it and you're like, really? The slang was used that early? Early on, we're using 1900 slang. That's pretty cool. All right, so alongshore is entry number 23, which means near to and parallel with the shore. Alongshore men or longshoremen is a peculiar designation given to some of the humbler and rougher workmen employed about docks and shipping. So I remember reading um, books with the term longshoreman in there and I'm glad to finally have a definition. I was able to guess kind of what that meant, but it is good to know exactly what it means. And for entries number 24 and 25, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Before I do, though, uh, last week, if you recall, uh, I did say that I did something spontaneous, um, or the word wasn't spontaneous. I don't remember what it was now, um, but it it's kind of it's kind of spontaneous. Um, it did not work out. <laughs> uh, it just totally did not. But that's okay. Um, I'm sure my spontaneity will work out later on eventually for for other stuff. But okay, I just wanted to give you that update. Okay, number twenty four, Alonzo, comma Amato, or Amato Alonzo, Spanish philologist. Born Liren Navarre, Spain, September 13, 1896, one of the greatest living authorities on the Spanish-American language and dialects. He was educated at the University of Madrid, Ph.D. 1928, and at the Centro de Estudios Históricos, where he studied linguistics under Raymond Menendez Pidal and Thomas Navarro Thomas. After lecturing in Spanish at the University of Hamburg, Germany from 1922 to 1923, he returned to the Centro de Estudios Históricos as professor in 1924. In 1927, he went to Buenos Aires, Argentina as director of the Instituto de Filogio, de, Filo, de, de Filogia, and while there founded and directed the Revisita de Filogia Hispanica, 1939-1946. In 1946, he joined the faculty of Harvard University, becoming Professor of Romance Languages and Literature in 1947, and Smith Professor in 1950. His numerous works include Poesia y Esteo de Pablo Narada, 1940, and Sabo Sabre la Novela Historica, El modern, <laughs> Modernismo and La Gloria de Don Romero, de Enrique Loretta, 1942, Castellano Espanol, Idioma Nacional, 1938, second edition, 1943. Since 1950, he has also edited the Nueva Revesta de Filologia Hispanica. That's a mouthful for me. I've tried learning Spanish over and over and over again. I took it in high school and and I did try to uh, to relearn it recently. And I was just like, oh my goodness, uh, my tongue does not like to to form those words. Uh, but with practice, they will. Okay, 
25, Alonzo, Damaso, or Damaso Alonzo. Oh, and just one more thing on Amato Alonzo. Uh, obviously, he was still alive when this was written. Uh, there is no date of death. Um, so he was still alive during the 1956 um, version of this in, in Encyclopedia. Uh, definitely not alive now. But I just wanted to comment on that. Okay, entry number 25. Alonzo, Damaso, or Damaso Alonzo, Spanish literary historian and critic, born Madrid, October 22, 1898. He was a student at the Centro de Estudios Historicos in his native city, and subsequently he served as a member of the faculty. Besides holding a professor professorship at the University of Madrid, he lectured frequently at universities in Germany, Great Britain, and the United States. Early in his career, he contributed much verse to periodicals, and in 1921, he published Poemos Torres, Poemos de la Ciudad, a volume indicative of his considerable talents. In 1927, he prepared a version in modern prose of the Soledades of Luis de Gingora y Regate, and in 1935, he published La Lingua Poetica de Gangora, a notable study of the poet's affected elegance and euphemism of style. His volume, La Poesia de San Juan de la Cruz, in 1943, was an able commentary on the work of that 16th century mystic. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Before I leave you to this wonderful, uh, beautiful spring day, I hope it's wonderful and beautiful because I am recording this uh, the day before. Uh, we have five more entries. And before I get to those, I read somewhere, I don't remember where, an email article or somewhere on a website uh, stating that today, uh, the 20th, will be exactly 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness. Now, I don't know how accurate that was. I didn't check up on it. I just thought that was an interesting tidbit of information uh, that I almost forgot. <laughs> uh, but obviously, I filed it away somewhere. Okay, so our last five entries are Alonzo, Matteo, Aloof, Alopecaris, Alopecki, and Alora. So, number 26 is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and that is Alonso Cama Matteo, or Matteo Alonso, Argentine sculptor, born Buenos Aires, August 11, 1878. He is best remembered for his Christ of the Andes, a statue 26 feet high of bronze cast from old Argentine cannon. It stands on the summit 13,450 feet of the Espalada, or La Cambre, pass in the Andes between Mendoza, Argentina, and Santiago, Chile. The figure of Christ rests on a granite hemisphere. The left hand supports a great cross, and the right arm is raised in benediction over the two countries. Now, this, this part's really cool. The statue was erected jointly by Argentina and Chile in 1904 as a symbol of the peace following the settlement in 1902 of a long-standing boundary dispute. The inscription around the base may be translated, quote, Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust 
then Argentines and Chileans break the peace sworn at the feet of Christ the Redeemer, end quote. And I just thought that was really, really cool. So that's why I included Matteo Alonso in that one. And number 27 is aloof. Aloof. And that is an adverb. Keeping away from, at a distance from, to keep the loof or keep the luff is a command given to the man at the helm. Aloofness, noun, the state of keeping or being aloof. And number 28, this word is longer than the actual entry. It's alobicurus, and there's no pronunciation key, of course. And all it says is C foxtail. So we won't know what that is until we get to the Fs, which is a long time from now. And uh, number 29 is alopsy, noun, or alopsia, noun, alopsia, noun, the fox evil or scurf, any kind of baldness. So that's any kind of baldness. And uh, our last entry actually reminds me of the name of Alora Dannon from the movie Willow. So if you if you know that movie, it's a fantasy movie, I think from the 80s. It was my dad's favorite movie, so we watched it a lot uh, when I was really teeny, teeny, tiny. <laughs> And I actually have a copy now in honor of him. And it is one of my favorite movies, too. But, uh, yeah, it reminds me of Alora Dannon. But this is Alora. And it's not a person, but it's a town of Andalusia, Spain, province of Malaga, 18 miles northwest of Malaga, on an elevated site near the right bank of the Guadal Hearse. Some of the streets are well-built and well-paved. Some are very steep and irregular. Say that about my area, too. <laughs> there are ruins of an ancient Gothic castle. Can't say that about my area. That would be cool, though. The inhabitants are mostly employed in agriculture. Soap and sulfate of soda are manufactured. The neighborhood produces much oil and excellent wine. The population is 10,543. And that is actually our last entry for this week. And... I hope everyone enjoys spring. I won't keep you too much longer. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, one, if you do have a word that you just don't like or that gets on your nerves or you just you want to scream or pull your hair out, it sounds like nails on a chalkboard, um, let me know. Uh, you can email me, mandyoaks at protonmail.com or go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com and select contact, and let me know what that word is and why you don't like it. Um, and if I get enough entries, uh, we may have a bonus podcast on words we just don't like. So I, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. I just need some uh, need some words, and it, it could be a short podcast. Um, but yeah, just let me know if there's a word that you just don't like, and let me know why. Because it's no fun to just give me a word and not explain why you don't like it. And also, don't forget, uh, you do get 20% off at my Teespring store. It does expire April 24th of 2022, and it's simply my first name, Mandy, and then two zero, So Mandy20 in honor of spring. And it does expire April 24th, 2022. And the link for the Teespring store is in the description below. And... And I think that's it. That's all I've got, except for the quote of the month. 
Uh, again, In Honor of Spring by Jean Paul Richter, a German humorist. Stately spring, whose robe folds our valleys, whose breast bouquet is gardens, and whose blush an invernal evening. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, and I bid you adieu.